the What You Been Watching podcast. I'm your host, the indescribable, marvelous Mike Dudley, followed as always by my cohort and younger brother, Marcus Dudley, MD3, checking in with you. Hey, we got there. (laughs) We kind of stumbled through that. We're going to get better at this, I promise. Yeah, Yeah, but anyways, man, how you been? What's been going on, man? Good, man. Been waiting for you to get back from your trip, so I had a lot of time to go watch a bunch of movies and catch up on some shows, so uh, got a lot to talk about, personally. Yeah, we do. We feel like we gave you all a very structured uh, podcast over the last two episodes, so we're going to do what we like to call here a true What You Been Watching, which is, uh, I've been in Maryland the last week and some change. So uh, here's the million dollar question. This is why the people tune in, my brother. What You Been Watching? Oh man, so it's been a lot, uh, a lot of movies for me. Uh, I've been trying to support local theaters. I've gone and seen uh, the new Nick Cage movie, uh, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, or as I like to call it, being Nick Cage. Yep. Uh, I went and saw The Northmen. Okay. The new Robert Eggers movie, and I went and saw Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. And other than that, I've been catching up on Battlestar Galactica and playing some video games and just trying to make do with staving off the darkness. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that's what it's all about. That's why we watch these fucking movies. <laughs> um, no, I have uh, I've seen two of the movies you just referred to. I saw the Nick Cage movie, which we're going to get into here. I've sure. not seen The Northmen, but I did see everything everywhere all at once, and we're going to deep dive into that a little bit. Uh, before I left, my friend Justin, my, my co-worker, I would call him a friend though, uh, we went to, um, there's a movie place here in town that is still rents movies, so if you're ever in the Tallahassee area, check out the Cap City Video Lounge, and it was Hell the, yeah. the proprietor's 40th birthday, and he did his uh, favorite movies in which he watched Bubba Hotep at midnight that night, I didn't stay around quite that long, but um, I saw Return of the Living Dead. Okay. And Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 before I left. And boy, that was uh, an anxiety attack, that damn Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. It's, uh, is that the one with the crazy... Like, I know it's got the crazy family in the first one, but the second one is with like Chrome Dome and... Yes. Like, that's the one that just, just goes like completely off the rails. Off the fucking rails. Right, okay. Where he okay. abducts the, uh, the radio host. Yes. And what's his name? Um, he was in Waterworld. What's his name? Um, the bad guy. Dennis Hopper? Dennis Hopper, yeah. yeah. He has a chainsaw fight with Leather Leatherface, and he has like three chainsaws going. It is a fucking anxiety attack, but it's uh, Kevin's one of his. He says it's the best sequel ever. Shout out to Kevin at Cap City Video Lounge for all your movie rental needs. Yes, if you're in, in Tallahassee, support local, man, for real. But uh, he says, he made a joke. He's like, some people say The Godfather 2 is the best sequel of all time. Forget that. Forget that. <laughs> <laughs> it's Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. So I saw that, shout out to Justin, he went with me, and uh, other than that, been catching up on a little bit of Moon Knight that's been going on, we got the... Oh, dude, I am so, so enthralled with that series, it is so good to watch. It really is. (laughs) Oscar Isaac does the most acting in that, Uh, and he's really good, he acts against himself, for those who don't, haven't seen the show or don't have any interest to... It's one of those things where comic books do this a lot where they take a mental health diagnosis and they just run with it and it's not really how it works in the real world. Imagine Batman with multiple personality disorder or DID or whatever is or whatever the common terminology is. But basically it's a superhero with split personalities and you never know which end you're going to get. It's, it's always a, a crapshoot of whichever one term, turns up, 
and the story goes from there, and it's it's phenomenal. It's it's all it's awesome, like pseudo science, Egyptology, and and Egyptian gods, and returning from the underworld, and all sorts of like yeah yeah. He plays Mark Spector and uh, Stephen Stephen Grant Stephen Grant in it. Uh, Oscar Isaac does. He's really good in it, and like uh, he splits personalities to go back and forth or whatever. But ultimately, his superhero aspect of it is there's this. Egyptian god called Khonshu and he's like the fist of vengeance he's his avatar form so he just goes around punishing the wicked right. so the knight can be safe or whatever but it's really good if you haven't seen it the penultimate episode just aired and I think the they changed it recently because it was going to be nominated they were going to put it up for an Emmy for a limited series which means that you only get one season but Marvel on Twitter recently changed that to a season finale as opposed to a series finale so oh that's news to me it just happened oh. like Yesterday, I think. So they're probably coming back with another one at some point. Yeah, there might be a season two. I think the only other show that's got a season two thus far that we absolutely know about is Loki. Right. And right. so this one, we might get lucky and get more Moon, more Moon Knight. So. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So, yeah, I don't know if they were supposed to spoil that or not, but they, they definitely changed it. People, <laughs> people scour Marvel so much that they you can't get shit past your, your adoring fans. So. But yeah, so a little bit of Moon Knight, a little bit of that, but... uh. Other than that, let's get into the meat and potatoes of it, man. We'll, we'll Hell yeah, man. Which one you want to talk about first? Uh, let's do The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. We have both seen that, a.k.a. being Nick Cage. Uh, I give the movie six out of eight golden pistols. <laughs> I would put it at a 6.5 Cage scale out of ten. Out of ten. I, that's reasonable. A 6.5. It's not the most cagiest, but you get enough cage. There's just a little susan. There's a moment where it's a 10 out of 10 rage cage. <laughs> you get a little bit of rage cage, but uh, I was actually surprised when I first saw the trailer. I thought this was just going to be him like, oh god, he, he gets free reign to just be untethered. <laughs> and it's, it's not surprising. You say that like it's a bad thing, though. No. <laughs> No, it's not. It just it can get off the rails very quickly with him. But uh, he actually, I was surprised how subdued he was in that movie. There's, he plays. If you haven't seen the movie, we're gonna spoil it because that's just what the plot. Yeah, let's is. just let's kind of just give a, a, a basic rundown of the plot so people kind of know where we're coming from. Um, the best I remember it, he uh, he's been kind of out of war, kind of very uh, meta almost in a sense. He's been doing kind of like a lot of direct DVD to DVD features and stuff like that. Right. He's trying to. It's, it's essentially it's essentially it very much is Nick Cage playing Nick Cage. Yeah. And there's there's very real aspects of his life that bleed into the movie, like his divorce with his wife, his daughter, you know, it, it, it's a whole family dynamic. Um there's elements of um he makes reference to a lot of his own movies and a lot of it is is, is is very self deprecating. So it's it it if you're any kind of Nick Cage fan, and I'm trying my best to separate my fandom of Nick Cage from the from an actual critique of the movie because I want to give a fair and like balanced analysis. But you do have to understand that the whole reason I went and saw this movie is because I love Nick Cage so much. I think that's why most people go to see it. <laughs> right, right. But uh, I will say this, if you are playing along, which we will have real deal what you've been watching bingo cards. <laughs> Eventually. Hopefully coming soon. But if you have any Michael Discusses Nick Cage on it, go ahead and just check all those boxes. Check all those boxes. It's almost like a free reign. 
Uh, I'll just go ahead and make a make matrix reference. It's almost reference. like a it's it's like a like a free play space. Pretty much, and I'll give you a matrix reference later with the uh, everything everywhere all at once references, but we'll get into that. Uh, <laughs> so you got two coming. You got two coming your way. Just, but I know I dug it though. Ultimately, like I said, the movie kind of picks up with him trying to revitalize his career. Right. Uh, NPH Neil Patrick Harris plays his agent, who gets him a gig. Ultimately, what it is to fly out to like an island in Spain. To do a birthday party. And for for a super fan, who yeah. was pe- played by Pedro Pascal. The incomparable Mandalorian himself. That's right. Uh, Mr. Narcos, Pedro Pascal. And uh, and Pedro Pascal is, like Michael just said, an absolute super fan. And um, there's kind of a... It, as he goes to the island, he's kind of reluctant to do it, but then he meets Pedro Pascal. And that's when the movie, to me, really takes off. Mm-hmm. Those two, those two actors' chemistry is very real and very palpable. You can tell that they were both having a great time being oh, there. Oh, uh, 100%. 100%. And, and they do have a very real on-screen chemistry in terms of, like, not only do I believe that the characters got along, but I believe that those actors got along very, very well. I would agree with that. I would so agree with it's, that. It's, it's absolutely enchanting to see their bromance blossom and develop and even when the, the, the turn of the movie happens and there's a real sinister undertone to it, they still kind of maintain this, like, frenemy kind of thing. Uh, uh, without getting into too much, they, they have a, a, a Mexican standoff with each other. And it's, it's very, not only is it com- like comedic and, and brilliant in terms of, of the relationship playing off of each other, but it's also very heartfelt and very, like... You, you understand that although the plot drives us to be here, both characters don't want to be here. And I say that it's a very meta movie because yeah. at some point during the, during the plot, Pedro Pascal's character, uh, what's his name? Uh, oh, crap. Javi. 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 Yes, Javi. I thought uh, we were going to have to Google that thing. <laughs> Javi uh, tells Nick Cage that he brought him here. He's a super fan and he wrote a script because he wants Nick Cage to to produce and star in his movie. Plot twist is, is that Javi may or may not be a international gun smuggler who kidnapped a a political figure's political daughter. figure's daughter in order to try and turn the election. It's brilliant comedic buddy comedy and they do a great job of commentating on the movie as it happens. It's very, very meta. In its storytelling, they don't jam it down your throat though. It's very like, not like the Matrix uh, uh, resurrected or yeah. whatever. Like it's it's very it's not as overly like heavy handed. They they they're doing it with a little bit of wink and nod to the to the fourth wall, but without actually like smashing it down. Yeah, they tell you ultimately like what the first act is going to be. Like the first act happens, and then they pretty much tell you. As they're discussing what their movie is going to be, mm-hmm. what the second and third what act the plot are, is going to be, yeah, right? and that's exactly what the plot of the movie you're watching is. So Nick Cage ends up having to he gets roped into a CIA operation where he's trying to spy on Javi and figure out where the kidnapped girl is. He's conflicted because he's basically fallen in love with this guy. He's a great guy. They drop acid together. They're writing a movie together, and. Uh, he's just conflicted because he can't reconcile a his opinion of Javi with the image that he's being told, but also he can't reconcile his own ego with how well Travi, uh, Javi treats him. So it's this constant dynamic of like, "You're great, Nick Cage." He's like, "Yeah, you're right. I am." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, It's a uh, it, 
Also, at the same time, there's Nick Cage plays against himself in some scenes. Literally, literally, yeah. yeah. Like there's there's young like Nikki they call him. Yeah, like wild at heart kind of, or like vampires kiss kind of like that era, like yeah. Nicolas Cage. And he's because there's a scene like later where he's saying, uh, he's you know the Nick Cage that we of the current generation is sitting there talking to uh, Javi. And then uh, they're just kind of like, oh man, maybe I should just do smaller pictures that I want and whatever. And his younger version, Nikki, always comes in and just is like, fuck that, you're a movie star. You're a goddamn movie star. Yeah, and so his... You didn't work for 30 years in this industry so you could be a goddamn six call on a call sheet. Yeah, that's, that's actually the line. <laughs> He's like, oh, you want to just do some movie about lesbians finding themselves and you just play the sad uncle or something like that? It's like, fuck <laughs> He that. slapped the shit out of him. He's like, you're Nick... Fucking Cage! Yeah. Yeah, he crushes it, man. So, it's weird. It had like a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. And people mistake that, or not, I don't know. I, I know some people do mistake it as like, oh, it's a 97 out of 100. It just means like, no, 90% of the people that saw this movie enjoy it. Right. And is it a 10 out of 10? No. Is it enjoyable as shit? Does it do a job as a movie to entertain you for its runtime? 100%, time? yeah. Is yes. it, it's, it's a... And to its credit, it is a very original movie in terms of, like, I can't think of too many other movies that are like that. So at least it's 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 not the same regurgitated Marvel story or, or Harry Potter story. So it is very singular in its in its originality and its and its creative creativity. So, yeah, he later like. I, and I agree with what you're saying. It's I've not seen anything that I can think of that really kind of maybe being John Malkovich a little bit, but even that it's 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 a, yeah. It the the Venn diagram overlap is just barely. Yeah, Spike didn't Spike Jones do that movie? Being John yes, Malkovich? yeah, and he he has his certain um, artisanal fla- flares to right, right. But no, it was it was a lot of fun though, man. Like the scene where. Uh, he thinks that I'm not going to spoil too much. I mean, just really, there's plot line wise, you pretty much already know what it is. There's not really much to spoil if you know the plot. It's just more how everything happens and the, sure. and the dialogue between it. But there's a scene where he thinks that he's found the kidnapped girl uh, on Javi's compound or whatever, <laughs> right. and he's like, you, "You can't go in there. You can't go in there." Right? Javi's basically like pleading with him, like, "If you go in there, it will change our relationship, and you may never see me the same again." And he swings open the doors, and there's this like complete compound of like Nicolas Cage memorabilia shrine yep. like that's the axe from Mandy oh my god that's that's uh, the uh, the original sure. the, the shirt from National Treasure that's the you know whatever he's just going through and naming all of his movies like and then they come to this whole like wax figurine statue of Nick Cage from Face Off and he's got the the like jacket and the, the golden guns and stuff and <laughs> Nick Cage asks Javi he's like I gotta ask how much did you pay for this monstrosity he's like oh, it cost me like six six thousand dollars like I'll give you twenty yeah <laughs> he's like what do you think he's like it's grotesque it's I gotta have it I gotta have it <laughs> yeah no it, it's a lot of fun though like you don't you don't even really have to be a Nick Cage super fan to enjoy the movie. And I, I do like a lot of Nick Cage's stuff. Sometimes, again, I know Michael's about to say blasphemy here. Some of his performances get away from him a little bit. Name one. Point being. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, you don't really have to be a Nick Cage super fan to, to dig it, though, man. I, I thought it was a lot of fun. It served its purpose. It's a good popcorn I, flick. I, 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 I really do think that if you love Nick Cage or you hate Nick Cage, you 
the movie is for you because it's very self-indulgent, yes, but it's also very, like, self-aggrandizing. Like, Nick Cage makes fun of himself probably more than anyone else in the movie. And so, yes, like, if you're worried about Nick Cage being over the top and doing his Nick Cagey things, there's very much that. But that's kind of also the point of the movie. Right. So how can you blame him for doing the thing that we want Nick Cage to do? <laughs> yeah, no, they, they use it they use it very tactfully. There's there's not too much of it over the which I don't mind the over the top stuff. It's just sometimes I'm like, Ugh. I I think they lean into it just enough. Like he he doesn't it's not like he does a, a ghostwriter two performance or a, right. a face off performance where he's going so big and so grandiose. But he leans just enough into it to where you get the Nick Caginess of it. It's and it is a weird thing as somebody who I just recently saw Mandy and I have never saw like a lot of the DVD uh, releases that he did. I do want to see Pig. Michael and I have still not sat down and watched that. I'm going to really high on the list. I have to be prepared to be sad, and yeah. I'm just not ready to do that yet. <laughs> yeah. um, but no, it's as as somebody. The whole point of the movie is now that. It's kind of like, hey, I'm back, and I'm back in a big, bad way. If you know anything about him, he's come out recently. Apparently he had some tax issues that mm-hmm. he, he pretty much was just saying yes to a lot of movies that were going um, not to theaters and stuff like that because he just wanted to get the money back and just do the work, whatever it was right. necessary to get that paid off. And this is kind of a little bit, in a way, a celebration of that. Like, hey, Nick, sure. Nick Cage is back, and you know what? We all kind of missed him a little right, bit. Right, 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 right. Like, right. Not that he went anywhere. Not that he went anywhere. It's a great line in the movie. Not that I went anywhere. Yeah. So yeah, I uh, again six out of eight gold guns. The only reason it might detract on uh, its gun receiving of the review, uh, Ike Berkowitz is in it and Tiffany Haddish is in it. Mm-hmm. And Tiffany Haddish gets a little bit of screen time. She's more just a vessel to set him up for. She like, plays the CIA agent that brings him into the whole scenario yeah the the spy game as it were she's kind of she's utilized a little bit more um but she kind of just sets up the one premise where he actually has to pretend to be a spy right and that's about all she does and then uh the one of the other agents that's with her he's a really funny guy he was in eastbound and down his name's ike berkowitz um he was really underused. He has like two really funny moments that you kind of see in the trailer. But he was he was very much more the comedic fall to t- Tiffany Haddish's straight straight perform uh, straight guy performance. You know what I mean? Like like there's always the in the in the comedic duo there's always the straight guy and the fall guy. Yeah, and he's very much the fall guy of that. And I and I understand that. I just thought that they give you a little taste of their dynamic, and it was right. funny for you know a three five minute scene, whatever it is. And then they do like another two minutes later, and then it's kind of like, that's it. Right. And I understand the focus of the movie is Nick Cage, but I think he's pretty funny. And I, I'm i kind of one of those guys that if you've done a show that I like and you show up in other places, I want to see you. It's like whenever I see the workaholic show up somewhere. Right, like, right, right. Hey, it's Durs, man. Hey, it's Blake. Hey, it's Adam. You know, like stuff like that. So when I see people from shows I like, it's just a personal thing. I'm like, hey, Ike Berkowitz, you were hilarious in season three of Eastbound and Down. Like, so, but other than that, Fully enjoyable movie. Fully yeah, enjoyable. yeah, yeah. It, I, I would say the 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 best and worst part of the movie is your own interest in seeing Nick Cage do Nick Cage. If if that's something that you have zero interest in, the movie will have stuff for you, but you probably won't overly enjoy it. Whereas if you're a huge Nick Cage fan, you're gonna buy into it. You're gonna you're gonna live the kayfabe, and and you'll probably have a good time. And also, kind of if you hate Nick Cage. 
it makes fun of him a lot, and so you kind of you can kind of get behind that as well. I, I agree with you in a sense, but I also, in a weird way, disagree because I think the best part of the movie is is the Nick Cage. Um, I almost said Javier Bardem because you said Javier. <laughs> um, Pedro Pascal relationship. Right. It, it's a really good buddy comedy. Sure, but that whole relationship is based off of him being Nick right. Cage. That's why I so, said I agree with you, but I, right. I kind of disagree. Right, right. That that is a, a pleasant plus, right. but if if Nick Cage is either a, a a pro or a con, depending on how you look at it, it's, this movie's not going to change your mind, is what right. I'm saying. Like, no, I, I agree with if, that. This movie, if you hate Nick Cage, this movie's not going to make you fall in love with Nick Cage, and if you love Nick Cage, it's not his worst performance ever. Yeah, so. absolutely. Absolutely. So, anything else you want to talk about on... Uh... Unbearable Weight of Mass, which is a great title, The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. It's a great title. Yeah, it doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. Um, I will say, I think that there was one comedic note that they missed. One, Neil Patrick Harris not being in it more? Well, that, but also, uh, not to spoil, but in the end, they sort of, as uh, Javi and Nick Cage write this movie, the, the movie basically ends with them doing the movie. And I kind of wish that they had done like a false narrative where like maybe they did a, 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 a fake uh, a credit title that said like written by Bruce Willis and, uh, uh, you know, Pedro Mascal or something like that. You know, like to where it, it basically it shows that like almost like in that Tropic Thunder vein of, right. of, the, of the, the or the Dewey Cox of the of the fake real movie kind of thing. Like, oh, it really was about Keanu Reeves or whatever, but all we could get was Nick Cage or or at, at, at the end of the movie where they show the movie being made, maybe they turn around and it's Bruce Willis playing the 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 uh, Nick Cage part, you know, like so Nick Cage got producership and writing credit, but they didn't. But the studio didn't want him in the movie because he's not a draw. Because he's not a draw, right? Exactly. Right. They had to get Bruce Willis or whatever, yeah. right? Right. So, or yeah. Zac Efron or whatever. Yeah, know? that'd be funny. Yeah, right. Exactly. So that was my own. Like I just kind of walked away, being like, ah, I could have written a better ending for that. <laughs> well, Michael, there's always hope for a sequel. Um, okay. Well, cool. Yeah. Uh, recommended. Unbearable weight of massive talent. Uh, we are going to move on. I did not see this movie. Uh, I'm going to segue a little bit, and then I'm going to kind of give Michael the floor here. There's a Robert Eggers movie. He is the director of uh, The Witch and The Lighthouse. Right. And he just came out with a movie that has uh, one of those those handsome Skarsgårds, in my opinion, the most handsome of Skarsgårds, <laughs> the Alexander Skarsgård of Tarzan, of Tarzan fame and uh, True, True Blood. Blood. Right. Yeah. Uh, he did one sexy vampire, bro. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I've always, I, I love the joke I made in a previous podcast. Which I'm going to say it here again. If you've been living that long and you're broke in Mississippi, just walk into the sun. <laughs> just walk into the sun. But I uh, know he dropped a movie Robert Eggers did, uh, and it's called The Northman, mm-hmm. and it's ultimately a Hamlet tale. It is actually the the main character's name is I believe Amlish or Amlish Amleth. You know what I'm Yeah, I, I think it's Amleth is 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 how they pronounce. But with that very Nordic. Icelandic uh, uh, accent. It sounds like Hamlet. It's so it's it Hamlet. very yeah Hamlet. It is very much uh, very much that. Uh, I liked it. It was Robert Eggers. If you've seen The Witch or you've seen The Lighthouse, has a very 
cerebral motif to his movies. Like you're never really sure what's what's real and what's fantasy and and what uh, if what you're really seeing is how we're actually supposed to interpret the movie or if it's left open for interpretation or you, you know what I mean? Like he, he's got a very, very um, surrealist sort of approach to movies. Oh, I definitely agree with that. Um, yeah, his a lot of his stuff is very like heady as it were. Yeah, yeah. And um, beautiful I, scenery, beautiful uh, like location shots you know very much it's all about ambiance and and atmosphere in his previous movie the witch i know that he he had stepped to the cinematographer or the director of photography which is sometimes one and the same but i'm not really right. sure how it worked on that movie right, right. i don't want to give somebody credit that you know whatever <laughs> right i'm sure that there's a difference there i could not tell you what yeah, the difference I'm not, is i'm not really versed enough to tell you but i know that like um he has like real weird things that he likes to do, and he'll he'll like live and die by that. Mm-hmm. And like the witch, he said, I want it all to be naturally lighted, so there was no like artificial lighting. Everything right. was candles, moonlight, fires, candles, right. moonlight, fires, and he he made the whole movie like that. Right. And so, which made for a kind of difficult in terms of like like shooting during the day. Like if there's certain cloud cover, you can't you know between different shots the light looks different and you can't use that so it make it does make for a very difficult shoot in terms of you have to make sure that the sunlight is the exact same as the previous shot and the wind isn't blowing because you know if it's still in one she- in, in in one shot or one scene and then it's whipping through the trees in the next your brain notices that yeah so uh, i'm a big fan of his i want to definitely watch this but um I've heard, I read a review that was kind of spoiler-free, and um, I, I, the kind of the general consensus I hear, and I want to hear your thoughts on it, is that it's more linear than anything else he's done. Like you were saying, everything else is kind of a little bit cerebral. I know we've said that word a few times, but, um, and it's not quite like, like The Witch, nothing really happens in that movie until kind of the end. I mean, stuff happens, I'm not saying it like that. Well, but it, it's a slow build. It's, yeah. it's very much, build, like I said, building ambiance and building right. atmosphere. And and it, I wouldn't say nothing happens in that movie. I, I, it's, it, it's spaced out so much that you really have to wait in anticipation for the thing to happen. Then the thing happens. Then it's another long break until the next thing happens. Yeah, I, I didn't mean nothing happened. There would be no movie if nothing right, happened. Right, but right, right. I, over, I overgeneralized in that term, but yeah. And like The Lighthouse also, the basic plot, I mean, is just kind of like... Two people going crazy because of isolation. Yeah. yeah, and that's just what it is. And then like The Witch is kind of like, oh, this Puritan family uh, gets kicked out of their village because they're too Puritan for their own good. I've, I've always explained The Witch as... It's a horror movie about what would happen if the if the Puritans were a hundred percent right. In what way? In terms of like, oh no, the devil actually is trying to come get you, and witches are real, and a hundred percent. Like, what would happen if the Puritans absolutely were correct in their beliefs? I've never heard that, but I a hundred percent agree. Yeah, yeah. It's it. It's a horrifying idea. So yeah. So all that being said. Do you think that the, the Northman is a little bit more linear? It is. It the well, it's okay. Let me start by saying the first half is very much the Robert Eggers movie in terms of very uh, again very cerebral, kind of a mind twisty. Like you're not real sure what's real and what's what what maybe fantasy or 
drug induced. There's a scene where um, the young prince, uh, his dad, played by Ethan Hawke, who's the king, takes him to go see a shaman played by Willem Dafoe, and they all, you know, they're acting like animals and dropping acid and releasing their animalistic nature, you know, reverting to their uh, primordial, primeval selves. Um, and there's, it's a lot of crazy visuals and, you know, like the floor drops out and there's nothing but, you know, the universe underneath this kid's feet huh. and like all, very, very cool visual setups, but it, it's basically him. It's, it's his commemoration into the, into the royal family as far as like, now you are next in line. And if your father dies in battle, it is your job to avenge him and, and defend your, your kingdom, your family and your people. And so okay. that, that sort of becomes the motif through the, mo- through the, through the movie of, I must avenge my father. I must save my mother. I must free my people, you know? Um, so the first half when it's, it's, uh, the main character, uh, Amleth, 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 uh, Amleth, Amleth, uh, is a little kid, and then it's it's very much Hamlet, betrayed by his mother, with by his uncle, and you know they kill his father. He witnesses it. He runs away. Then the second half of the movie very much becomes a linear revenge story, where he learns about the 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 status of his uncle and how he was ousted from his kingdom and ran to a new place and. He learns about his mother now has a, a new child and, and all sorts of stuff. And they're sort of living their, their um, dejected kingdom in a foreign land. And he's like, I must, you know, I must avenge my people and I must, I must claim my kingdom. And so from that point on, it very much becomes a, a linear story. But there is still very much a Robert Eggers um, cinematic style in okay. terms of everything shot on location and uh, like so you get you, you get the, the the beautiful vistas of the fjords and the valleys of Iceland and the rolling hills and it's it's the the the, the color palette between the grays and the greens and the blues and the and and sort of like things pop and and they look very very surreal in terms of how visually bright they are but you know that inherently, that's a natural setting, and so huh. it looks natural at the same time. Yeah, he does like to shoot natural. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so there is that. So it's very much in his style, not necessarily his narrative, is how I would put that. Okay. Uh, the only other thing I noticed that Robert Eggers does a lot is, um, like, I know The Witch, He when he wrote that, it was, um, like, he really leaned into, like, the Puritan dialogue. Yes. And, like... And even like the the lighthouse, they speak a certain way. And sometimes I'm just gonna be honest, it's very like they speak in riddles, and it's like very like metaphorical. Sometimes it's I get very lost. daunting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, I I've I, always been impressed by his ability to do that. And sometimes like I still follow the movie because I, I'm an avid moviegoer. I'm not I, I'm not a dumb dumb as when it comes to movies. Sure. I don't think. But, um, I mean, I had to watch The Witch with the subtitles just because they do speak in a very puritanical dialect. And if you're not familiar with it, you can very much get lost in in sort of the, the prose of what they're saying. To me, yeah, that part did it. And I know we're talking about The Witch and The Northman and all of his movies kind of well, at once, but whatever. It's hey, true. Watch you've been watching fashion. Hey, watch <laughs> been watching. But um, 
No, the other thing I noticed is, and this is just with the witch, I don't think it was even like the sound editor or the sound designer, wherever it was, whoever was in charge of that. The actor's voice that plays the dad, mm-hmm. it is so gravelly and deep that it just blends yeah, into yeah, the background. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I could not understand, even if I like could follow the actual dialogue of what he was saying and comprehend it, I couldn't hear it. It was just like, very much so, and I would and it just all blended into, and he's a great actor, his performance is wonderful, and I don't knock him for the way his voice sounds, sure, but it was right. just like, this shit just blended into the woods. I was like, what the fuck is this guy talking yeah. about? Like, Well, but there, but... To, to what you're saying, as far as the sound design, he very much tried to incorporate the natural sounds of the woods and the farm. And so, like, it, like even the music cutting out and all you hear is the farm, you know, the, the, the wind blowing through. Or you, you'll, you'll, you'll hear the, the sounds of nature as the music drops out and they build toward another, you know, climactic scene. Yeah. So, I would agree, yeah. He he very much does play with sound and, and the lack thereof. Like it it's almost like jazz. It's like it's not the notes you're playing, it's the notes you're not playing. <laughs> yeah, it's music. Oh man. Yeah, but no, I uh I hear you on that one. And I just know that sometimes his dialogue can be really almost grandiose. Yes. And I think actors want to sign on to do stuff with him because of that. It gives them a lot to work with of where you can really swing forward emotionally. Right, you know, like especially William Defoe in like the Lighthouse. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Robert Pattinson very much so doesn't talk a whole lot in that Talking movie. Talking about Batman, yeah, the new Batty Man. <laughs> um, he doesn't talk a lot in that movie, but Willem Defoe, like, he has like five or six scenes where he just gets worked up because. Robert... Oh, he has great monologues in that movie. Yeah, like... no, he does. But I'm saying Robert Pattinson will say something and. Willem Dafoe will take great offense to it, and then he just goes off on these tirades. Right, and it's yeah, partly yeah. because he's going batshit crazy, but part of it's also just like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's like, the genius of that movie. Is, yeah, is it just takes you on this emotional r- roller coaster of like, I want to see how this develops, and I know that it's not going to end well. Yeah, like I know where it ends up. One of these motherfuckers is going to end up getting an axe to the forehead. Yeah, I don't know which one. <laughs> but my, I guess I bring all that up is do you think that the that this because he he really does it he goes grandiose in the dialogue and it's very no much the, so. the the dialogue on this one is very much it's it's more simplistic to follow for sure okay. I I would I would definitely say that this is his most straightforward of movies okay. like if you're not a huge Robert Eggers fan this would be a good jumping on point and. I mean, essentially, like I said, it's Hamlet, it's Gladiator, it's all these big blockbuster revenge stories that we've seen time and time again. He's just putting his own sort of visual cinematic spin on it, which is, again, great to see. Like, the finale ends, they have a fight on a volcano. Hell yeah. So. Did somebody get kicked in the volcano? I don't want to spoil it, but if there a motherfucker may, gets kicked in a volcano, there may be some lot some hot molten magma burns that happen. Look, if a motherfucker gets kicked in a volcano, <laughs> take my money. I don't care what movie's going on there. I'll watch that shit. Bow straight to the chest and in the volcano with you. It's like the three hundred. There's plenty of earth <laughs> and water down there, and it kicks the shit out that dude. That's right. Oh man, but yeah. So uh, what do you? What's the review? Uh, four out of four bloody corpses. I'm gonna give it. <laughs> I'm gonna give it three and a half out of five bloody eagles. Bloody eagles. You heard it there. You heard it there. Cool. Well, I uh, will say. Okay. 
it, it is weird in terms of uh, like you, you were talking earlier about how he's uh, Robert Eggers is a slave to like authenticity and stuff like that. Yeah, to to his benefit though. Yeah, I will say that there was a weird part, and this is gonna be I, I I don't know really how to frame this without sounding like an asshole, so I'm just gonna go ahead and just plow through it. There's this weird aspect of the Viking culture in terms of like they address slavery and like you know, rape and, and pillaging and stuff like that. There's this weird aspect of it to where like that Alexander Skarsgård, like as the main character is strangely removed from all that. Like, like he's the one Viking that doesn't participate in any of that. And it's this kind of weird, like heroic ploy to make you like on his side, like, Oh, I, I'm I'm all about Viking culture, but not that part of the Viking culture. And they never actually like fully show like it's not graphic or anything, but they it's very heavily implied and 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 I mean literally the the Anna Taylor Joy character is stolen as a slave from Russia to be brought back to uh, to Iceland as a slave. Shit, but. Shout out to Anna Taylor Joy. Underrated performance. Underrated performance. I know she's been she nominated gets the for an Oscar, but so I guess that you technically don't qualify. Who hasn't been? Alexander Skarsgård. You get there to you go. underrated there performance of the week. There you go. We're bringing it back, people. Specifically you for it. your work in Battleship with Rihanna. Oh man, <laughs> no, dude. He got to work. This is a size. This is our tangents that we're going to go off on. He got to work with the incom- with the incomparable Craig Brewer. Craig Brewer is the director of Hustle and Flow. Yes, and um. Black Snake Moan, and he wrote the Tarzan movie. So you, I didn't even see Tarzan, but you get an underrated performance of the week <laughs> for your work in Tarzan. Because you got to take Craig Brewer's shit to the screen, and I fuck with that guy. He also did Dolomite Is My Name, which is a great comedy film scene. So anyway, sorry. Just it, it was for me. It was weird. Like I just sort of noticing how like oh they are completely removing the hero from this aspect of like very controversial Viking culture, like. Yeah, just just to make him the like the the, the hero you want to get behind, like that was probably intentional. I think a hundred percent. Just that one of my few criticisms of the movie is just like, oh, like he doesn't want to be that Viking. <laughs> yeah, I, to be honest though, I can kind of appreciate that uh, in a sense, and I, I do understand why you might have a qualm with that because there's a way to show it. I'd much rather you you understand that it's implied for because he does make. In my personal opinions, movie for smart moviegoers. Sure. And um, I'd much rather it be subtle and implied than fucking way heavy-handed. And this is going to be blasphemous to some people, but like Quentin Tarantino, where it's just like I get it, the slave thing, right. got it. Right. Or it's like the when the bride is in Kill Bill is coming back, and like they give you all these reasons for revenge, and it just keeps going. It's like, and right. I got shot, and I lost a kid, and I was raped in the hospital, and right. it's like, Jesus right, Christ. Right, like, right, 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 right. It's we so, get a tragic female figure. Like, you needed maybe one of those, not all seven. Yeah, and it's so heavy-handed where you're just like, okay, yeah. cool, man. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, to me, sometimes stuff like that, I can, I can appreciate a little bit more. It's like, we get it. I don't necessarily need to see that, because it's like, it, it is graphic, and it's, sometimes it's like, if you're just doing it for shock value... Then to me, that's, I don't know, I don't appreciate shit like that. Unless right. I, it's a strictly, if I'm going into some B-horror movie, yeah, shock value all day. Hit me with it. Sure. If it's a comedy sure. and it's a dick joke and you're going to show the dick, go for it, man. If that's if that's what it's for. Like, if you're just going to be heavy-handed with it, 
again, I, I'm one to side with like the less is more sometimes and stuff like that. I, I agree. I it, it's one of those there's a way to there's a way to do that tastefully. It, right. If it if it becomes a crutch of the movie it, in terms of like, well, this is all about rape or torture or violence or whatever, then it's sort of it's leaning too hard on it's leaning too hard on spectacle or leaning too right. hard on trying to really evoke a very particular emotion that maybe doesn't need to be evocative. Like there there's a more subtle, more creative way to to bring about that emotion other than like, well, my daughter was raped and had her head stoved in by, you know, and, and then they kicked my dog and yeah. lit my truck on fire and like, all right, all right, all right, cool, it's cool, like, cool. like, okay, I'll give you some examples here of, of what I'm talking about. And I know we're just kind of getting in a general movie discussion, but hey, that's what we do here, man. This is a little <laughs> more real deal. But like, for example, like, to me, it's lowbrow when people do stuff like that. Sure. And I'm not above lowbrow. Like, jackass movie. I know it's going to be a lowbrow comedy. Sure. I'm fine with that. Sure. Okay? And now, for example, a movie like A Time to Kill with Matthew McConaughey, the great Samuel L. Jackson, that's the line, yes, they deserve to die and I hope they burn in hell. Sandy Bullocks. And Sandy, the yeah, America's sweetheart Sandy Bullocks is in that. Now, the premise of that is Sammy Jackson is obviously a black man in the South and these dudes come and take his daughter and rape her and drag her behind a truck and it's, it's graphic as shit. Right. The they whole, don't actually show it, but like again, they talk about it to death. Yeah, and that but that's the thing is it's not what you show, but it's how you show it. Sure. But a movie like that needs to lean on the graphic part of, of how bad it is, because he ends up spoiler alert, he ends up killing these two guys and the whole movie without him going to trial. And he's going to plead insanity and say, Oh, temporary insanity, I was out of my mind and I was angry and did right, this. Right. I was and, so distraught by the by what happened to my daughter that I saw no other reason other than to kill these guys. Right. And so eventually, as he's pleading temporary insanity, and they, they reiterate what happened to his daughter. That's Matthew McConaughey's whole point. Right. He's the lawyer in that of Samuel L. Jackson. He's trying to get him off or lessen the sentence, whatever. And eventually the, uh, the prosecution gets Samuel L. Jackson to crack. And he said, like, you know, ask him about when he killed him or did they deserve to die? And he says, yes, they deserve to die. And I hope they burn in hell. Therefore, foregoing his insanity plea. Right. But like a movie like that where they show it and it's pretty graphic, but they don't lean on it as much, I appreciate that. They do sure. talk about it to death, and it is graphic. But also it's the difference in between a rated R movie and a PG-13 movie. You can, you can, If you just show someone getting their head cut off and blood spurting out, guess what? That's a rated R. Sure. Now, if you show someone's head falling off and you see the silhouette of their shadow and the head rolls, guess sure. what? That can be a PG thirteen. Right, right. Still, I understand. Green blood, or, yep. or or yeah, Martians is all day. Right, 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 right. Nobody right, gives right. a fuck about extraterrestrials. Right, right, fucking right. mowing people down. You can show as much blood as you want, as long as it's not red and human. Yeah, but you know, but you understand my point yes, though. Yes, of like, yes. it's not what you show; it's how you show it. Sure. Yes. Yeah. And so when it comes to like, and I didn't even ask you like, how violent is the movie? Which again, I'm not anti. I love violent movies. I love all this shit. I, more it, just it, it is pretty violent in terms of, I mean, there's definitely, you see him, like, cutting off a dude's head, and you see him, like, he cuts open a dude's stomach, and then the dude wanders into a, a, a hall, and his guts are spilling out, and he's going, blah! Yeah, you know, but like, see, I would expect that in a Viking revenge tale. Right, You see right, what I'm saying? Right, 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 right. Like, you, you never see any of the sexual assault, you never see any of the, like, sort of behind-the-scenes... 
you see it as the camera is panning across the village after they've conquered and, 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 and taken this village by force. So you see, like, implications of it, or you see the, be- the beginnings of it, but you never actually see it happen on screen. Right. And then they do a... They, they, he does a very good job of... Uh, Alexander Skarsgård's character is completely removed. Like he's the one that's meditating in the in the town square while all this is going on, or like staring off in the distance, thinking about vengeance for his family while all this is happening around him. Like, dude, like, yeah, literally, what's happening to your family is happening exactly. around you, and <laughs> yet you ha- you can separate yourself and be like, this is okay. Like, Compartmentalization, yeah, of the highest, yes, yes, the highest yes, accord. yes, yes. Shit. No, I hear you though. I know that was a long tangent for me to, to get to all that. But. Eh, it's it's a conversation worth having, I think. Yeah. So, well, cool. Well, yeah, the Northman. So I'm gonna check it out. I'll let you guys back know in a week. Uh, do you want to take a break so we can uh, fuel our sponsors? And we are back. We want to thank our sponsor, the Umbrella Corporation, <laughs> for all your all your pharmaceutical needs and non-zombie related <laughs> cosmetic materials. <laughs> uh, anyways, yeah. So. Uh, that got a little little uh, more heavy-handed than we wanted it there, but that's all right. Uh, we also saw one other movie that we are going to dive into. This is the one we really, really, really want to talk about, I believe. This is, yeah, this yeah, is yeah, the, yeah. the meat of the meat and potatoes. Um, four, a uh, bunch of words all together that might not make any sense, but everything, everywhere, all at once. I'm going to say it again, because I will plug this movie to the end of the earth. Yeah, Everything, everywhere, all at once. 10 out of 10, whatever you want. 11 out of 11, whatever you want. This movie is spectacular. And I mean that in the most literal sense. It is a spectacle to see. Yeah. Uh, how, do we, how do we even start this one? Like, I don't even know. Man. Like, I, I could tell you what this movie is about. Like, I could read you the back of the, of the blockbuster box. But even that doesn't do it justice because it's about so much more. Um, essentially, this movie is uh, Michelle Yeoh, and I can't think of the character's name. We're going to have to research that one. It is uh, Evelyn. Evelyn. Evelyn, yes. Evelyn uh, works at a laundromat with her husband and daughter. her daughter, and essentially it's about her boring life until she learns how to tap into the abilities and memories of all of her alternate reality selves in order to become a better woman. And yet also it's about a family that is falling apart and one woman's quest in order to keep her life together in some sort of semblance of order and maintain, or or, or not even maintain, rekindle the love that she had for her father and her daughter and her husband. And herself. And herself. Uh, So it's, again, this movie is is so complex and so forward-thinking that it's about so many things... Plot-wise, but yet the emotional implications are so much more. Like, I, I, I don't know how to describe it better than that. Help me out. I mean, that was a hell of an elevator pitch, to be honest with you. 
I'll, I'll read just the what it says. It says, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once is a genre-breaking multiverse film layered with deeply emotional messages for its viewers as one woman, Michelle Yeoh, comes to terms with the life she has chosen and the family that she must relearn how to love. So you that's, actually did a pretty damn good job on that okay. elevator pitch. That's, uh, but again, that's... That's that's the back of the box pitch, and yet the movie is about so much more. It's so visually entertaining, it's comedic, it's heartfelt, it's uh, tragic, it's exciting, it's hilarious, outright hilarious. It is, it is hilarious. So let's just let, let's just with no semblance of order, let's just jump into it and talk about it because it's going to be hard to talk about this without. It's such a random movie in itself. I've never seen anything like it. Um, I mean, you, you, there's some comparisons in the sense of the Matrix and the fact that it's genre bending. Um, in terms of she can download other personalities and, and other skills and traits from, uh, like, so Michelle Yeoh basically is living her life, her boring life, and then all of a sudden, her a, her a threat hu- to the a threat to the multiverse appears, and her husband. Oh yeah. Uh, so there's a threat to the multiverse that appears, all right? And um, when she's out there living her boring life or whatever, all of a sudden she's in the an elevator with her husband as they are going to go do a tax audit. And her husband is overtaken by a version of himself that they call the alpha version of himself. And mm-hmm. I forget the character's name. Let me see if I can find it real quick. It is Waymond. Waymond, yeah. Waymond, yes. Who, by the way, is played by Short Round... A.K.A. Data from the Goonies, and his name is Kehu Kwan. I'm going to butcher the shit out of this. Something like that. Uh, Let me find it real quick. Oh, shit. But basically, it's Data. It's it's Short Round from the Indiana Jones series. Kehu Kwan? Kehu Kwan. Okay, okay. Um, And... My God, is he phenomenal in this movie. Yeah. So Alpha Waymond uh, is what they call him. He comes from the multiverse that's like the Alpha is what they call it. Those are the people that first learned how to multiverse jump mm-hmm. and to take the abilities from other people. And in order to do that, they have to do really odd and bizarre things. So there's a scene where like he has to give himself paper cuts between his fingers in order to learn an ability to escape from danger. Right, and so it's all sorts of wacky shit that that goes on in order for them to learn how to like get the abilities from it, from a, a multiversal version of themselves. At one point, Michelle Yeoh she swallows like a little stone, like paperweight frog. Right, and then she they have these little Bluetooth speakers in their ears, and you press the button on the side of your head, and you are transported to that world, and you have their memories and their skill set and things it's, like that. It's almost like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where like their ship had the improbability field, where like in order to access these memories or access these abilities, you have to do something that's so random that it would never occur to you to happen in the world. So like there's a scene where, like you said, Waymond has to give himself paper cuts in between all of his fingers. Or... There's a scene where somebody has to shove something up their butt in order to learn how to do kung fu. And, and it is a hilarious, <laughs> hilarious... Yeah. Because it's the most improbable thing that you would do in that situation. And in order to open up the neural pathway to access your alternate reality self, you have to do this improbable thing. So it's this really mind-bendy, twisty... Action comedy 
Um, it's it's almost in a sense like it doesn't really it, it does matter, but in the sense it doesn't really matter what it is to as long as you can take the multiversal things like whatever the parameters of this movie are, the sooner you can just accept it and just right. go okay, multiverse jumping they get the abilities. Whatever, just roll with it and take it. There's so much more to it than that. That is simply the means to get to the end. Right. In my personal opinion. And uh, Michelle Yeoh has been one of the greatest to ever do it. Um, she is in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Super she's cop. Super cop. Uh, fucking everything. And she is so good at what she does. And she's incredible in this movie. Really, all the performances are great. Jamie Lee Curtis uh, puts on... Some like fat suits and prosthetics and stuff to uh, play the tax auditor. Yeah, she's this really frumpy, you know, sort of waspy, down on her luck, you know, middle management, like per- perma middle management type character who's just always really dour and always sort of a, a real stickler for the rules. Yeah, and she, she has a lot of great lines in the movie. I'm going to try to read some of them here. I, I pulled up a couple quotes because, um, again, it's. There's so much good stuff. Like it all. It... Okay, so wait, wait, wait. okay, so plot-wise, she learns how to access her alternate reality self. So there's a there's a version of her that she learns to access where she's literally Michelle Yeoh, like she's this action like Chinese action star. So she knows kung fu. There's a there's a version of herself where she learns how to. Uh, there's a version of herself that's. Uh, 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 hibachi chef and so she's learning how to do knife tricks and and cut things and stuff like that that also leads into a really good uh, ratatouille joke yes the uh, rakakuni uh, rakakuni yeah uh, there's a version of herself where she's trying to fight off a group of enemies and she accesses uh, one of those like sign spinners that you see on the corner oh, and so yeah. she she steals one of the the riot shields and she accesses the sign spinner personality and so now she's spinning the shield around herself and tackling people and throwing it like Captain America and it's this, it's this really spectacular uh, action sequence. Uh, there's a scene where uh, Waymond uh, basically accesses how to do nunchucks but with a fanny pack and he's doing this very Jackie Chan esque sort of comedic uh, action sequence where he's just kicking security guards' asses by flinging his fanny pack into their faces and wrapping it around their legs and pulling them up, you know, pulling them up and, and hanging them upside down or like roundhousing them in the face and then wrapping around his leg and then smacking them in the stomach or whatever. Yeah, you know, like. the action is the shit in it. And y'all know very well by now I'm a huge kung fu movie buff and it passes all my tests. It's, uh, yeah, so it's... All that stuff happens, and ultimately what it is, is the reason that they're seeking out this Evelyn is that they believe that she can save the multiverse as they learn that there is a threat coming to take everything away, just end it all. And yeah. just say, and, and we find out, please go see the movie, we're going to spoil it here. Please, if you right. have not seen right, it, right, right. pause this. See, seeing that movie is more important than this, I promise you. <laughs> we're just rambling nonsense here, this movie... Is one of my favorite films I've ever seen. It I've is, never left the. I've not left the theater feeling the way that I felt watching that film in a very long time. A it very is. Long time. It is probably one of the best movies that I've seen in at least the last couple of years. Just in terms of originality and cinematography and story storyline. Yeah. Um, it it is it is so unlike 
anything that's out there right now. Yeah. And that, that, that in and of itself deserves high praises. Yes. So go see the movie real quick. We'll, I'm going to tell hit you. Hit a pause. Yeah, hit pause. Go see the movie. We'll wait. Yep. You good? Okay. Great movie, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, so no, but what we find out is uh, ultimately a version of her daughter uh, called uh, Jobu has become this super nihilistic force and she's the one that can tap into everything and she is the one that is going to end it all. And what, what we think is that she's going to end it all. And this movie has so many good quotes. And it's it's this weird thing where it's like, in the wrong sense, like if you're on the wrong day or a bad day, I think we've all felt this way, where like, the nihilistic approach to everything is yes. so frightening. And there's a line that says, um, uh, here, let me, let me read it real quick. Um, Every new discovery is just a reminder. We're all small and stupid. And you learn of like these vast discoveries that we're making, not only here on our planet, but like if you think about space and how it's constantly expanding, sure. and like we're not even grains of sand in the glass, and our problems seem so big, right, right, and right, like right. it, it in a weird way that nihilistic approach is like really frightening and absolutely like just downright terrifying for me. I lose sleep over it sometimes, yeah, and how little I matter in the impact I have in the world. Now this movie also challenged you to think. That like, yes, because nothing matters, all you have is these series of small moments. Sure. And you should spend them not only with the ones you love, but just being happy. And it's like, if it doesn't matter, like then you're free to pursue the things that you want to do. And there's something incredibly liberating in the sense that right. you're right, it doesn't matter. And it is frightening. But guess what? Like... You're in it just like everybody else. So do what you love, man. Be happy. Spread. Yeah. And it's yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. It's so. There's, and this movie balances that line as, as Evelyn, as we know her in, in the universe that we're most familiar with, as she begins to travel this multiverse, and her daughter is, ultimately, I'm gonna say this word and eh, take it, love it, leave it. She's kind of become a god in a sense where she can pretty much do whatever. It's, it's not her daughter directly, but it's one of the. Alternate reality versions of, of her, her daughter. daughter. Yes. Right. Jobu will call right. her. Right, right, right. Yeah. right. Jobu right. has become ultimately like a god where she can transcend anything to anything now, at any moment but, in a but, weird way. But here's but here's the thing. She achieves this by in her world, they learn about the multiverse and reality jumping and stuff like that. And the Michelle Yeoh character trains her daughter to be a universal traveler. And so it fractures her mind. It fractures her mind in terms of trying to understand the, the entire the entirety of the multiverse. And so the reason she becomes nihilistic is she puts literally everything on a bagel. All of reality. Every homework, every dog picture she's ever seen, every emotion, every piece of history. She decides to com- to compact all and of salt, that. She says. And put and so a and little salt. Yeah. Right. She decides to put it on a bagel, and she ultimately decides that it means nothing. Yeah. Which is hilarious, but... When one decides to put everything Mm -hmm. on a bagel, and then decides that the universe is completely empty, that's a really strong philosophic stance. You know what I mean? Like, again, like, it's... I could tell you what this movie is about, but it's about so much more. It's. I feel like no matter how much praise or however well we try to describe this, is not going to do it service. They do it so elegant, and it's so much. It's the directors. 
are the Daniels, and it's Daniel something and Daniel something else. But <laughs> their their thing that they go by is just the Daniels, and they also directed the movie Swiss Army Man, um, which is a, another a good great movie. movie. Yeah, um, it's on Netflix if you haven't seen it. Um, but yeah, so these two guys, I, I it's like there's they came out of left field, and it's like who the fuck are these guys? These are guys are masters of their craft. Like it was like when I saw uh, like Kung Fu Hustle for the first time, yes, and yes. it was like. The Stephen Chow guy is off the fucking hook, man. It's one of those, they understand the genre so well that they were able to, you can't reconstruct the wheel without understanding first how the wheel rolls. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and they understood the genre so well that they were able to deconstruct it and reform it in their own image into something that was so much more than what the genre could originally offer. It, it at at its heart, it is an action martial arts movie. At its heart, yeah. But then there's so many other elements that include philosophy and emotionality and what Healing it means to be and, a family yeah. and like essentially. It, I mean, like I said, I, I I've said it before. This movie is essentially about a family that is being broken apart and what one woman is willing to do. To reconnect that family. Yeah. I'm going to read some quotes here. Because it's the only way I know how to segue to somewhat talk about the things that we want to talk about. Sure. And um, so, uh, Jobu, uh, her daughter from the the daughter that put everything on the bagel and uh, is destroying everything. At one point, she's looking for Evelyn. And she says, she thinks that she wants to end everything and that she wants to kill Evelyn. That's what Michelle Yeoh's character. She's like, oh, you want to kill me? And she, uh, Jobu says this to her. She says, I wasn't looking for you so I could kill you. I was just looking for someone who could see what I see, feel what I feel. Yeah. She wanted someone to understand the multiverse as she did. And that's so she seeks out this other multiversal version of her mother who eventually learns all the tricks of the trade and learns how to, well, kind of stumbles her way into sure. understanding everything everywhere all sure. at once. Sure, yeah. And um, she only wants to do that. So someone she could finally have someone to relate to in the nothingness before it all ended, and it's kind of fucked up but beautiful in the same way. It, it's it's one of the most basic human emotions is I want to feel a connection before I die. Yep, it 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 really is what it's all about. Is is we're all looking for these little connections, our little spider webs of 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 involvement and and love and friendship and and relationship we're all looking for just someone to finally have the moment of i understand you yeah yeah which is essentially what the movie is about not only i want but again it's it's not about understanding through other people it's also michelle yo reaches an understanding of herself of herself very much so um Again, so so like I said, it, it's about a, a, a family falling apart. And so through this interdimensional travel, she learns how to fix her relationship with herself and her daughter and her husband. Like the one of the main plots of the movie is that her husband is secretly seeking a divorce and she finds out in the most inopportune manner and then has to deal with that. And right. One of the scenes is when she taps into her alternate reality selves. She taps into this, like, 
it's almost like Michelle Yeoh meta tapping into Michelle Yeoh. She taps into this version of herself that is a Chinese action star. Yep. And has fame and fortune and she's winning all the accolades and all the awards. And then at some point, she meets the man who was supposed to be her husband, but because of a kind of like sliding doors situation, she decided instead of going with him and marrying and going to America, she was going to stay in China and pursue her dreams. She reconnects with him and she tries to relate to him that, you know, I'm living these lives that I've tapped into and I, I have all these different personalities and all these different abilities and and in this other world, I'm all I do with you is just laundry and taxes. And he has this beautiful line of, of regret and, and empathy where he says, like, I've built a really good life for myself and I don't regret you leaving me and, and pursuing your dream because I've done well for myself. But I would have loved any reality where all I do with you is laundry and taxes. What a and it's a line. beautiful, sentimental, like, oh my God, that's all I want is just somebody to connect with and just do laundry and taxes just with. grow old with you. Like, just, that's it. And he's very much so portrayed, uh, the Wayman character, um, in most of the realities is kind of weak and bumbling. Yeah. Except for the, the alpha version of himself and... The, Which knows Kung Fu and knows... Yeah, who's yeah. learned how to, he's learned skills to, to be able to do this stuff. And Computer the, hacking and all this. All yeah. that stuff, yeah. Uh, and the version where... That Michael was just describing, in which uh, Michelle Yeoh, the reality where Michelle Yeoh ultimately was Michelle Yeoh. Evelyn, yeah. Uh, Evelyn, yeah, yeah. Evelyn, yeah. Evelyn was Michelle Yeoh. And um, so he's really portrayed as like weak and, like I said, kind of like meek and naive. And uh, I think I, there, he had all the lines in that movie that made me cry. Like, this movie will sneak up on you in the sense of I'll be laughing because something's genuinely hilarious. Right. I just watched a guy try to shove a. a the award that's, that a character gets for being the best tax auditor is like a little dildo statue. <laughs> so like one second I'm watching somebody trying to literally jump over a desk to put that up his butt so he can learn a skill to defeat Evelyn. Right, right. And then the next second I'm crying and I'm like, wait a second, like you can't do that. Right. But uh, he says something, um, uh, Waymond, and when he finally talks to, to um, the Evelyn that's a movie star, he says, when I choose to see the good side of things, I'm not being my naive. It is strategic and necessary. It's how I've learned to survive through everything. And he even continues to say, this is how I fight. Right. You choose to fight your way, and I choose to fight my way. I'm going to read that quote one more time. When I choose to see the good side of things, I'm not being naive. It is strategic and necessary. It's how I learned to survive through everything. And now, as somebody who, maybe this is just, I'm not trying to be egotistical here, I really do, and I think Michael could maybe attest to this, I really do try to give people the benefit of the doubt. To oh, a, I'm not a, backing you up on that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, but I, I really do try to give people the benefit of the doubt, and I really do try to show empathy and compassion. I fall short yeah. of it all too often. I am human. I think we all are. But there's something <laughs> about, you know, I'm always told that, I've always been told a lot by a lot of people, you're too nice, you're too nice, you're right. too apologetic, you're too nice, you're too yeah. kind. And when I finally heard somebody say that, Oh my God, it was like a burden off my shoulders. I yeah. can finally have something to point to on the screen and go like, 
this is why I do it. I just I'm fighting the same fight. I just take right. such a different approach. Right. And it's yeah. like, and I'm not saying I'm I am this character. I'm not right. I'm not trying to come across as like, oh, well, what he, a good guy I am. He, I he just, has the I, I I'm I'm going to butcher this, but he has basically a line that says, "I choose kindness." I'm going to see if I can find that that line. Um. Uh, man. Yeah. Keep keep going for a minute. I'll yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. So. Uh, uh, here it is. Here it is. He has a line. It says, "The only thing." I do know is that we have to be kind. Yeah. Please be kind, especially when we don't know what's going on. Like, come on, man. Just be kind, especially when we don't know what's going on. Like, that is such a beautiful line from this guy who can't, seems so weak and is not afraid to be vulnerable. And everything he's doing is like, yeah, I, I don't like doing being audited by this. I, his wife is a little bit bossy and kind of this and that and the third. And he comes across as like this meek kind of weak, like, oh, yeah. she definitely wears the pants in this relationship. But like he is a vital factor in his family's dynamic yeah. and the happiness of everyone around him. And he falls on the sword and all he does is look weak for doing it. And it's like, it, you are the toughest person in this fucking room at this moment in most rooms you go to because right, you approach right, right. things it's, it's, with it's, humility it's weird, and kindness. It's this weird dynamic of... In within the movie, all of his personalities that we get to see, whether it's the 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 alpha version or the original universe version or whatever it may be, is he's so kind and all he wants to do is just be useful and be helpful and be of service. Be of service to it. Like he's getting henpecked by his wife. He's yep. his his daughter doesn't see him as a man. His his in the alpha version, he's constantly pursued and, and persecuted because of him trying to save the universe. But all he wants to do is the right thing. And he's really bad at it. He's horrible in every version yeah. of it. He fails constantly. But to him it's not in the victory, it's in the attempt. And it's him yeah. it, it's this great character analysis of Every version of him just wants to do right. He's completely inept and he's completely horrible at his job, but he has the best of intentions. And, he, and there's a part of him that's just like, doesn't that fucking count for something? It it does, yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, it's, it's so wonderful. And I guess one of the reasons why Evelyn... It's hard to keep track of which Evelyn we're talking about. I understand audio, mm -hmm. like through an audio podcast. You have to watch it to understand. It's just go yeah. see it. Do yourself the favor. Like this is the if you believe anything that we have on this podcast right now, go watch this movie and see if it doesn't emotionally charge you in some way. Right. You will absolutely walk out of this and feel some sort of way about something. Your yourself, your relationship. It's just, it's beautiful in terms of, it's so broad that it covers all the emotions, but yet it's so specific that you will find something that relates to you specifically. I 100% agree with that. 100%. And it's also, you you learn that, like, like this main character, Evelyn, is, um, I guess, like, the, the big thing at the end is uh, the why she was selected to be the savior of this multiverse is... Um, she has failed what what she believes is that she's failed conclusively at everything and right. that's never been brought to her attention right her marriage her relationship well, with her daughter she never her pursued business. her dreams right. she she never went for any she never took any stress she just played it safe constantly mm -hmm. and so why she's chosen and it says every rejection every disappointment 
has led you here to this moment. And that to me brought me so much solace in the sense of like, it ain't over yet. Whatever, whatever mistakes you made to get you here, you are still here. And that is still very much so a part of your story. And, um, at the very end, uh, she somewhat, she somewhat (laughs) saves the day and her daughter and she's, the most beautiful line after she trans she traverses all these multiversal versions of herself and she could literally escape into any one of these lives she comes back to her daughter who resents her and has been treated a certain way by her whole life and she says to her of all the places i could be i just want to be here with you and that it's, it's beautiful it's beautiful, it's beautiful. yeah and i think and i'm gonna what was it? You, you said something earlier about like uh it's weird that now we're experiencing movies where a, where parents are apologizing to their kids. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird... I think there's a generation of filmmakers, and I think, Michael, you just said it. Yeah. We're finally seeing films where parents are apologizing to their children. And it's like, wait. You know, like, we get all, like, my generation gets all the shit of, like, Oh, well, you're the participation trophy. Right. It's like, who do you think gave us the participation trophy? Right, right. Like, we didn't give a fuck. All we wanted was the pizza party. We no, didn't give a fuck about the trophies. You couldn't that was hand- you guys. Yeah, you couldn't handle that. Some of your kids fucking suck at T-ball. Right, right. And so we all got one. It's like, so no, you really are the participation one. And I'm not one of these people that likes to point out like big differences in generation. I really do believe we're all just trying to do the best we can or whatever. But like I, I think there's something about this movie that speaks to the my generation um, of all the people that I know that are my age, both my brothers, a couple of friends of mine. They've all said the same thing. Like this movie is is one of my top tier favorite movies. Sure, sure. And it's something about looking at things from a different way and being like, huh, you know, maybe maybe the things that I've been doing, I've never really tried to understand why they do things or why there the was impact. a resentment. Yeah, the impact of it. Yeah. And while everyone's forgiven, you know, at least in my sense of like, we, I understand everyone's just trying to do the best they can, but like, maybe it is time to look at things and say like, hey, what is my part in all this? You know? Sure. And it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that you're a bad person or anything right, like that. Right. But there's a level of accountability that I'm seeing current filmmakers do in the sense of like, it, at least to me that are portraying this, like the movie Turning Red's another great example. It's just like, parents apologizing for stuff. It kind of makes me feel good. I'm not yeah, going yeah, yeah, yeah. to lie. Like, so I like, think it may speak to my generation more than it would maybe an older or even a younger generation. I don't know if... Again, it, I don't know, but... Now, now is that... Is that, be, is that because our generation has been so set upon in terms of like hearing the drive and hearing like, here's what you need to do. Here's the plan. Here's the plan. Here's the plan. And then not understanding that the implications and the the traumas of our parents being passed on to us in terms of like I don't, I'm getting lost in this. No, no, I got you. I, I think I get what you're saying. Yeah, and it's it's also to the sense of like, for example, I know some people like that are my father's age. Where they say, "Oh, well, my parents just kicked the shit out of me." Right. And then all they do is, like, they might just yell at their kids. Well, you're lucky. I'm, I'm not beating your ass. I'm just going to yell at you and browbeat you and do all this. Sure, And sure. it's like, that's not, it's better, but that's not the it's way not, we're handling it. It's still not good. Yeah. Right. And yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I understand like, you're like, be- Just because you didn't beat the shit out of me doesn't mean that I don't have my own traumas. And it doesn't mean that you didn't fuck me up in your own way, yeah. kind of way, you know? Like, yeah. Like, and I think the daughter in this uh, is very much so indicative of that. And I think she really 
represents that on screen of kind of like the oh man like and I'm not I'm not going to get into this too much because this is not what this podcast is about <laughs> but like you know just a couple facts here like my generation has the most student debt acquired our housing market has crashed it's like for mm-hmm. all, and a lot of aspects we did what we were supposed to do I didn't right. because I took a very different path and well but sure here the, or the, there the, but the, the, the very much like you got to graduate high school you got to go to college you got to get a good secure job you gotta you gotta and then you turn out like I mean, like, I have an English degree, and I'm working as a chef right now. So Yeah. And so I, it's it's kind of like I followed the path. I did everything that was outlined for me, the blueprint, and yet I'm still not living the American dream. Right. And how do I justify that with, like, well, you motherfuckers told me what I needed to do. Yeah, and it's, and it's not, and I think sometimes the discrepancy is where people will look at, at my generation or, or younger generations... And they view it as entitlement. It certainly could be. Sure. It certainly could be that we're making excuses. I'm sure some of that exists. But to an extent. But in the same sense, it's like... You motherfuckers promised us this. You were the one that told us we were special and that we could matter and that everything was going to turn out okay if we just did X, Y, Z. Yeah. And And so now when we don't achieve that or we, we, when we find out the world is very much against us in that term and we're bitter and we're, we're, we're... angry and, and saying like you motherfuckers lied to us and you're going well yeah and it's well yeah and it's like it's just different than what it used to be and sure. i think it's time that like the salary i make now i could have bought a house five years ago right you know what i mean like, it's just not the same anymore right. and it, this movie i think really the the daughter of that very much so is that person in the sense of just like i just want to do my own thing and i'm and i don't know this i am not an asian person but like of, of the, You're not of the Asian people I've spoken to. <laughs> I understand that some of the demands, maybe from like an Asian mother, oh, and they, and they, are, are and they different than they are for me. Yeah, you know they definitely I mean? touch on that in terms of the the whole like Asian, not to be stereotypical, but like the the, the, the Asian American persona of like you've got to achieve better than your parents did. Like we sacrificed right. so that you could have a better life and you owe it to us to, to do something with your life. Right. And I'm not trying to speak out of pocket or like trying to no, incorporate but, 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 but it is a, a part of the movie. And that's one of the, the, the themes of the movie. Is an immigrant family is another big part of it. And so it, to, to not at least address that and what we're talking right. about would we'll be doing it a disservice. Again, that's not a life that I've lived, but they kind of... They kind of nail that point home. I so. was born a poor black child in the South. Go ahead and check your bingo boxes for <laughs> the jerk reference. Um, but yeah, no, and again, I'm not saying all that to like point out all these differences, but I just think this movie really helped me realize that there's a good way to go and approach your parents about things, and there's a good way for a parent to go and approach their their children as they're developing into adults and say like, where are we at? Where's the resentment on both sides? And there's there's a healing that can come from a movie like this showing these things on screen. And so I think no matter what generation you are, I think you'll get something out of it. Like Michael said, I think, and this is just my speculation, I think that it, it very much so speaks to us, you know, us millennials, which, mm. you know, I understand our flaws. Right, I'm, whatever. Right. We're not perfect. <laughs> we are full of excuses and we are full of shit. I'm not condoning any of that. But, um, you know, it's just times are different. I think that there's a way for people to approach it and heal each other and look at some of the differences of when you were, when you were up and coming, this is the way it worked. It is different now, and I feel defeated at every turn because everything, especially here in America, not trying to get political, it's all a fucking racket. Yeah. And we're tired yeah. of fucking yeah, yeah, being yeah. hosed, whether right. it be the two-party system or health insurance 
or anything. And it's right, just like right, we're right, fucking right. tired of being the housing old. market or or minimum wage or whatever it may be in terms of like yeah we see. We see the man behind the curtain, kind yeah. of. Thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so the yeah. idea that her daughter turns to this nihilistic approach is very relatable, right. in my opinion. So I, I, that was really all I was trying to but, say. About but it. but also, not to put too fine a point on it, or or but there also is this aspect of, as you were saying, like parents understanding that they fucked up for their children, or or children not buying into the beliefs of their parents or whatever. But it's all about the, it's not necessarily about connecting with your parents or making reconciliation with your parents. It's about the attempt therein. It's about, I'm trying to make a human connection and that's the important part. It doesn't necessarily matter whether or not you and I always see eye to eye or whether or not you forgive me. It's about... I made the attempt or I tried my hardest to see it from your point of view. And that's really what it is all about is human interaction yeah. and human connection. And it goes both ways. Yeah. But it's evil. It's uh, evil can evil. You get paid for the jump, not the land. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Right. I gotcha. I gotcha. Right. Yeah. yeah. No. Uh, well, cool. I, I know that kind of took a weird pivot, but everything everywhere all at once uh, to me, it speaks a lot. Again, no hate towards any other generation or anything like that. Just telling you my perspectives, my perspective, how the movie spoke to me is why. Because um, I I'd spoken you know to my dad and he was like I liked it, but he he said he enjoyed it. So I'm not taking anything away from that. But I just know some people may still like the movie, but it may not reach them quite on this level. But yeah, so I was just trying to pontificate on that. So the the movie is worth a look just because it's so unlike anything that's out there right now. It's not a Marvel movie. It's not a rom-com. It's not a action movie. It's not a, a thriller. But yet it's all of those things. And so that in and of itself is worth a look. It's it's This movie really to me is... If if Michelle Yeoh and uh, Kei-Hu Kwan... I'm butchering his name, but short round. If, if they don't win some type of award for this, it's going to be an absolute travesty because I guarantee you, if nothing else, they give spectacular performances and you absolutely connect with those characters and you absolutely feel for them. And at sometimes you revile them. At sometimes you 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 question their motives. At some point you you not necessarily hate them, but you 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 disagree with their motives, or, or or you 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 want them to do better than they are, and that's the whole point of the movie is the human potential and and what it means to interact and have these these little crossroads of of humanity. Yeah, yeah. That's the only way to fight the nihilism. <laughs> and like Evelyn says at the very end of the movie, after she learns uh, the ways of her husband's strength, she says, I'm learning to fight like you. And I think we could all spend a little bit of time trying to learn how to fight like the other person. So, again, that's enough morality for us. Um, anything else you want to talk about before we go? I know oh. we're going to, next week, we're going to talk about some 
Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Oh, yes. Because we're both going to go see that and we're going to have a lot to do. And I think that that might be a good opportunity for us to like jump into the whole MCU and, and Marvel history, comic book movie history. So, yeah. look forward to that. <laughs> yeah, I got some number one issues of some comics, so that might be a good segue into that as well. But uh, just a little teaser, a little susan, as it were. So, a, for those of you that like a more structured podcast, tune in you got that to look forward yeah. to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, again, we appreciate it. We know we were kind of uh, talking a little heavier points today than we usually do, but it's just how movies speak to us, man. That's why we go. One of my favorite things about going to see a movie is when I was a kid, you would always go in the parking lot and you would say, well, what was your favorite part? Right. And, you know, everyone would say yeah. that. And I still love to do that. And that's yeah. why this podcast is. And it's more now than just what was your favorite part. It's what part spoke to you. And right. so we, we did a lot of uh, today about what spoke to us, whether it be the Northmen or anything like that. And, um, again, we just want to apologize for anybody that may have been triggered about what we were talking about during the Northmen and anything like that. So uh, thank you for sticking with us. And uh, I'm signing off. Michael, you got anything else, man? Uh, go see a movie go see a movie and more importantly talk about it with somebody you love later on peace